John chapter 12 is where we're going to be tonight. John 12. And uh, we've been in a series on worship. Trying to answer, kind of answer a question a week is the way that I've been approaching it. And tonight's question that we'll be looking at, and you say, this sounds a little bit weird to say it this way, but what isn't a worshiper? What isn't a worshiper? And I'd like to look at um, this text. We're jumping right in. Um, in John chapter 12, the first 11 verses, if you found it, go ahead and stand. John chapter 12, um, and as we, we'll read it, and then I'll give a few comments, then we'll just jump right in tonight. John chapter 12, again, our series on worship, we've been learning what the biblical definition of worship is, and uh, I hope this will be a help tonight. This is Mary anointing the feet of Jesus, and so let's read uh, John 12, verse 1, it says, then Jesus Six days before the Passover came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. Does this sound familiar? I think we just... Looked at a story that sounds very familiar to this on Sunday, uh, but it's not the same story. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag... And bear what was put therein. Then said Jesus, Let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. And that's not part of our sermon tonight, but I hope it can be said of you and I that when people meet us, they go away, no, they believed on Jesus because of our testimony. And you say, well, I've never been raised to life. Well, are you sure about that? Um, because you were dead in trespasses and sin, sins, but God has given you life. You have been raised to life, and you have a testimony that can make a difference in people's lives. That's not the point of the message, but um, so just so you know, sometimes as a preacher, it takes discipline to preach, to not preach what you want to preach, okay? So um, this story is different than the one we told Sunday out of Luke 7. Um, that, was in, that took place in the house of Simon the Pharisee. This one takes place actually in the house of Simon the leper. That one took place with strangers. This one takes place with the disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and so that may cause some confusion, but just clear that up. These are not the same stories. And once we understand that, then we need to acknowledge that this is one of the most beautiful pictures of worship in all of the Bible. And there are a few examples of purer or more genuine worship. And I believe that there are some good lessons about worship for us to learn from this account of Mary with Jesus. And may God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So I'm going to approach it a little bit differently tonight. And it may be it's a more methodical approach. 
um, almost more of a, of a teaching um, time here tonight just to walk through this. But we're going to look at some of the characteristics of this account from the negative perspective. Now, not that Mary is doing something negative. Um, she didn't do anything wrong here. But to consider what Mary was not doing as a way to see what she was doing. And that, that probably sounds familiar, but sometimes, or, or confusing maybe, but sometimes you, if you come at something from the opposite angle, um, that can help you get a grasp on it. And the way I view this is, I, I think of it as troubleshooting. And, and maybe you've, you've done troubleshooting before where, uh, I, you know, when I was in, in Stillwater as a music director, part of my responsibility was the sound system. And as we know, there are evil spirits that live in every sound system. That's how it works. And so we would have an issue with our sound. And, and what I would be tasked with doing is troubleshooting. And I would start with one problem that I think it could be. And as I go through, I would find out, okay, that's not the problem. And we can cross that one off the list. And maybe you've done these kinds of things before. You know, if you have something that's not working, you check one thing. So you can cross it off the list and check the next thing and cross that one off the list until you actually get to the problem. And, and in some ways, that's kind of what we're doing tonight. We are looking at what Mary is not doing. We are looking at what she is, is the negative definition, you might call it. It's a process of deductive reasoning and it's an exercise that I think can help us understand um, by focusing on what is not happening. And for starters, just, just then we'll jump in. Mary did not come for a sermon. And I, I knew that wouldn't be an aha moment. Like, wow, gasps from the crowd. But she did not come to hear Jesus teach. Um, Jesus is the greatest teacher the world has ever known. John 6, uh, 7, 46, his enemy said about him, uh, never man spake like this one. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 7... The people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Uh, of the 90 times that Jesus Christ is addressed directly in the New Testament, he was called teacher or rabbi about 60 times out of 90 um, of those times. So about two-thirds of the time. He was gift we know Jesus was gifted in communication. I mean, if, in case you're wondering, he's called the Word. So you know he's good at, at communication. Uh, and when he taught, he would use object lessons. And, and he would use uh, language the people could understand. He would give them illustrations that helped drive home his point. He would, he would teach in parables so they could understand. He didn't use a lot of technical words or scholarly language. No, he was approaching and directing his teaching to the common people. He would use um, these wisdom sayings like puns. Or, or similes or metaphors um, and proverbs and the people, the common people understood. Um, Jesus was the master teacher. And if I, was to, if I was to say one person I would love to hear preach, it'd be Jesus Christ. I would love to sit under his ministry and just hear him teach and preach. And, and Mary, as we know, Mary had been known to sit at the feet of Jesus and simply take in his teaching. She'd been known to sit and take in his wisdom. I mean, in John chapter 10, we have the contrast between Mary and her sister. Who's her sister, just to make sure you're awake? 
Martha. And Martha was, was cumbered about with much serving. And Mary was just sitting there at the feet of Jesus taking in his teaching. So we know that she had a habit of coming to hear Jesus teach or preach. But that's not why she came to Jesus this day. She came to worship. And listen, in a similar way that we do maybe the Lord's Supper, a focus on the week of Easter, the the goal of that service is to just remember Jesus. When we come in, it's all about Jesus. And listen, Mary came to Jesus to worship, and it was all about him. She didn't come for the sermon, and, and she didn't come to hear some exposition of God's word. And listen, here's the greatest teacher in history, and that's not her concern. She has come to occupy her mind and heart with Jesus Christ himself. And you say, well, this is a little counterproductive for you, seeing as how your whole livelihood is opening the word and preaching it. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't come or that there isn't value in hearing teaching. But what I am saying is based on this negative definition of what Mary is not doing here, um, you would do well when you come to church to not just to come hear a sermon, but to meet with Jesus. And listen, I believe if you come to meet with Jesus, the sermon will bring, it will have new life for you. I believe if you come to meet with Jesus, you won't necessarily be all that concerned about being entertained or being, or being uh, you know, kept your attention um, the whole time. No, if you come to meet with Jesus, the sermon will help you do that very thing. And I think we sometimes miss the fact that even in preaching time, the point of preaching is to exalt Jesus and to lift him up so that you can meet with Jesus Christ. It's not just about hearing a sermon. And listen, that doesn't threaten me at all because I believe if, if Eastside will become a church of people that come to meet with Jesus, then you're going to think every sermon preached here is a home run. And I need that, okay? Because sometimes I hit bunts, sacrifice bunts even, or strikeouts. I admit that. But if you've come to meet with Jesus, you'll find something in every passage of Scripture that can help you do that very thing. Honestly, this would take a whole lot of pressure off this preacher. If I knew that every person in this room tonight has come to meet with Jesus. Mary didn't come for a sermon. She also didn't come to ask for anything. She was familiar enough with Jesus to ask him. They had a relationship. I mean, look over in John 11, verse 32. Um, this is the same Mary. So just one, just one page back. Maybe it's on the same page for you. It is for me, John eleven thirty-two. 32. It says, then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. By the way, that's the biblical definition of worship. So we could say that Mary is in the posture of worshiping when she fell down at Jesus' feet. But look at this. It says, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. See, at this point in John 11, her brother, whose name was what? Lazarus. He's, de- he's been dead for four days. And she comes to Jesus. She falls at his feet in a posture of worship. But she's not, she, she comes asking. And you say, well, there's not a question mark. But I think it's very obvious based on what she says... That she's asking Jesus to do a miracle in her life. 
She's asking Jesus to raise her brother from the dead. She had seen him answer countless requests for other people. She had watched him raise other people. She'd watched him heal the sick. She'd watched him cast out demons. She'd watched him give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. And she knew that Jesus can do anything that she could think of. So she says, she asks for it, Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. But listen, in John 12, when she comes to worship, she doesn't come to get, she comes to give. There's a difference, folks. There's a difference between prayer. Remember, prayer is seeking his intercession and his help occupied with your needs. But worship is, an occupa- is uh, being occupied with Jesus Christ himself. Here comes Mary and she comes and brings a pound of ointment and it's very costly. This extremely valuable gift. As a matter of fact, Judas says in verse 5, why didn't we sell this for 300 pence? Remember, uh, pence in that day was about a day's wage. So 300 pence would have been approximately a year's worth of wages. This was a valuable ointment. It was some kind of a liquid um, spice or perfume. And it smelled sweet and filled up the whole house. Listen, Mary came giving... This is a prime characteristic of a worshiper. A worshiper, a true worshiper comes to give, not just to receive. Like one great example of this in scripture is Matthew 2. You'll remember Matthew 2 is when those wise men, they come to see Jesus as a young child. And they say in Matthew 2, 2, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him, they say. And when they saw him, the Bible says they fell down at his feet. They fell down before him and adored him. And it says that they brought him gifts. What were the gifts? Yeah, Amazon gift cards. That's right. No, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See, to them, worship was not simply an occupation with, with uh, Jesus Christ. It was an act of giving. They brought something. Listen, and that should be in our minds when we come to worship. I've already mentioned it in this series a couple of times, but we get conditioned into thinking that everything has to be about us, that everything has to benefit us. And and listen, that's what consumers say. Entertain me to make me feel good. Keep my attention. Wow me. Help my kids. Make me comfortable. You name it. And that's what people expect from churches. But a mindset of worship means that you haven't come to get something, you have come to give something. Worship is not prayer, it's not requesting, it's not asking. No, it is a preoccupation with God himself. And listen, you can come and you actually can give to God. You can give with your voice as we sing. And some of you say it's not a very great gift. Well, it doesn't really matter because God tells us to praise him with the fruit of our lips. You can come giving. Not, you say, well, I'm not a great singer, but I'm telling you, my heart is very much into these songs. And I hope that it is. And by the way, you could be the best singer in the room. And if your heart isn't engaged, it's not real worship. It's noise. So you can give with your lips. You can give with your heart. When the offering plate gets passed, you can give in giving. Listen, don't just come um, to expect to receive. You can give yourself at the altar at invitation time. Come to give to God. Many of us come to worship um, and we never give. Not in our hearts, not in our words, 
not in our checkbooks, not with our bodies. Listen, I'm not sure it's worship without giving. Actually, I am sure. It's not worship without giving. Mary also didn't come for the fellowship. This is a hard one, okay? Because we love fellowship around here. But you know, Mary loved these people sitting around the table. These were her people. They were her peeps. One of them sitting at the table is Lazarus. I mean, and if, I would be, if I'd been sitting there, I would be like everybody else. I'm here because I want to talk to Lazarus. I want to be, hey, listen, Lazzy, whatever your name. Lazarus, what was it like? Wouldn't you be asking him? I mean, I'd be asking him so much. My wife would be like, Jason, stop asking. He's heard it. He, I mean, he, he's talked about it. But, you know, Mary wasn't there because Lazarus was there. Did she love Lazarus? Oh, yeah, read the previous chapter. She loves her brother. Did she love Jesus? Did she love everybody else? I'm sure her sister was there, but she came. She wasn't there for hanging out. She wasn't there for fellowship. And when it came down to it, her priority, even to the exclusion of others, was worshiping her Savior. And do you realize now, and I want to be balanced here, but do you realize though that when God gathers in the midst of his people, he's looking for worshipers. Meaning he is looking for those that have come to meet with him. That's why he's here. That's why he comes. And so how sad, listen, how sad is it that the one reason we say we gather is to meet with God and he often is the last person that we think about when we gather. I mean, fellowship with other believers is very good. I mean, Acts chapter 2 and 3 and all through it, um, then they, it says that they were daily with each other and they were breaking bread and they had fellowship with each other. Fellowship is a good thing, but it is not the sole reason that we come to church. It's good, but sometimes the good can be the enemy of the best. And it is likely that for many of God's people... Fellow believers loom larger in their mind and consciousness than the Lord himself when they come to church. Teenagers, I I love our young people and I love that they're sitting together. I love that they have fellowship. But I can tell you this, I I remember what it's like to be a teenager. And I remember many, many times as a young person when I went to church, I was thinking about who I was going to see. I was thinking about seeing my best friend. I was thinking about seeing my friends hanging out before, after. I mean, my kids, they love to come to church. And Jace on up, they love to come to church because very often they're excited to see their friends. I can't tell you how often Jace talks about going to church to see Wyatt and his other buddies, the Jacob boys and, and, and Gavin and those guys. I mean, he wants to come to church and see those, the, the kids. He loves it. But listen, if you get to the place where it is all about your friends and meeting with your friends to the exclusion of worship, then you have missed the point. And young people, be careful of this attitude that says, church for me. And, and I understand, I mean, some of you are homeschooled and, and you like to be around your friends and maybe you're, it's just your siblings all week. Trust me, I know you want to go see your friends after that. It's torture sometimes. But you know you're here to meet with God first. And John even wrote in 1 John um, chapter 1, he said, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. He says, it's okay to have fellowship with us. But he says, but truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And my point in this is this, until you have genuine fellowship with the Father and Jesus Christ, you will not have meaningful fellowship with your friends. 
Uh, you'll, you'll spend time. You'll think it's good. You'll have a good time and hang out. But what I'm saying is if you will come and your focus is fellowshiping with, God, fellowshiping with God and Jesus Christ first, it will make your fellowship with your friends all the more meaningful. It'll make it that much more special because you have already met with God and you have already prioritized him and he in blessing you as a result will give you some really sweet fellowship with the people that you meet with here at church. Young people and other people alike, if your focus is on others when you come, you are settling for far less than what God intends for you to enjoy when we gather. Mary also didn't come to be blessed. And this is interesting. She came to bless Jesus. She came to refresh, literally, she came to refresh Jesus. Remember, to wash someone's feet was to refresh them from their journey. And, and Mary could have come to be refreshed by Jesus, uh, but she came to refresh him. And I know we need to come and be refreshed. I, I talk about that on Wednesday nights as a reason I'm glad we have Wednesday night church. Because we can come in the middle of the week. It's been a long few days. Maybe you've been around people that don't love the Lord. And you just need to come and get refreshed. I get that. But here comes Mary offering something to Jesus. And this is the eve. Listen, this is the eve of the day of the cross. He's about to suffer incredibly. And here's Mary. And she's not just thinking about herself. She's thinking about him. You know, it's incredible to think... The, David said in Psalm 103 that we can bless the Lord. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. It's amazing to think this, that God can be blessed by me. God can be refreshed by me. These offerings of praises are like sweet-smelling savor, he says, to his nostrils. He can be blessed by you. And you've simply got to come with a heart to give, to offer your best, even if you have to sacrifice to do it. That's what Mary did. You can bless the Lord with your singing. And you can bless the Lord with your giving. And you can bless the Lord with your heart of praise. And you can bless him with your focus and attention on him during the preaching. See, does your action in this room bless the Lord? Is that your focus? Or are you looking to be blessed yourself? Mary also, number five, didn't come because it was popular. I mean, as a matter of fact, it was unpopular what she did. Now, we don't get the uh, commentary from the other disciples, but we know the most carnal disciple, whose name is Judas, in verse 5 is saying, why didn't we sell this? It's like a year's worth of wages. Why didn't we sell it and give it to the poor? She was near someone who didn't like what she was doing, but he probably wasn't the only one. I mean, if this is the eve of the week of the Passover. I mean, it, this is, it's coming up right now. It's about to happen. The whole city of Jerusalem is about to turn on Jesus. He'd been extremely, extremely popular, but he was about to become unpopular. And, and they would soon be calling for his death. They would despise and reject him. But here's Mary not caring. Now, I'm not saying that she doesn't care about other people. I'm saying here's Mary not caring in that she's come to worship and it doesn't really matter to her what anybody else thinks about it. She's pouring her gift on his feet. I mean, listen, worship is not popular and, and, and Jesus is not popular and, and he's trendy, I think. 
Right? In our culture, I believe that Jesus is, has become trendy. It's trendy to say, I'm part of this church and I go on Sundays to the early service and, you know, we go and we have coffee and we enjoy our time. And I'm not talking about a trendy Jesus. I'm talking about true disciples who are honestly, truly committed to Jesus Christ. See, too many Christians are, are such because it's trendy to claim a surface level faith. I mean, you've got pop stars and actors and actresses who talk about Jesus and they talk about God and their lifestyle looks nothing like somebody that would live for God. I mean, it, it's a trendy thing to have faith. But listen, there may come a day that it's not popular and it's not trendy and you may even be ostracized for you following Jesus Christ. And the question is, if you have to stand for Christ and face the consequences or not, are you going to be willing to do the unpopular thing? Because worship isn't necessarily popular. Now, uh, certain kinds of church activities and are popular, but genuine worship, you don't see it very much. Mary also didn't come half-heartedly. Number six, she didn't come half-heartedly. See, this gift was costly. Just think about what it took for her to secure this gift. I mean, it's, if it's years worth of wages, and in and, and that culture, I mean, a, a woman wouldn't have been able to support herself in the same way that a man was. So very likely, it, caused, it, it was more than a year's wage for her. She had to say no to many things to save it, to save for it. She had to labor hard. She had to save every penny, and, and it sounds like a lot, and then you realize you've been, given, you've been given by that same, or how much you've been given by that same Savior. You say, well, you know, it's a lot to come and, and worship. It's a sacrifice for me, and for us to get ready to come and, and be ready for church on Sundays. I mean, it's just a lot to ask, but you have a Savior that gave everything for you. I mean, how dare we be half-hearted worshipers when, our, when we have a wholehearted Savior? It doesn't seem like much of a sacrifice, does it? A.P. Gibbs said it like this, Genuine love is measured by the sacrifice it makes on behalf of its object. You see, Jesus loved the church and he gave himself for it. That's genuine love. Worship that costs us nothing in terms of time or energy or thought or finances is not worthy of being called worship. Worship is an investment. And if you love something, you're willing to make a sacrifice for it. And it takes humility and it takes concentration and it takes uncomfortableness at times. It takes our time and it takes our energy. But is he not worth it? He is. Her gift was costly. Her gift had been clearly had been saved for this occasion. It says in verse 7 that Jesus said, this letter alone against the day of my burying has she kept this. This is very interesting. See, Jesus says she's been waiting for this moment because she knows his death is coming. She'd listened to his teaching, which seems to be more maybe than what the other disciples had listened to. Remember, Jesus has talked about his death. He's even talked about his resurrection. But when it comes down to it, it's like his disciples missed everything. But you know who didn't miss it? You know, this is interesting. The one that didn't miss it is Mary. She was preparing this for his burial. She was thinking about what he said was going to happen. And maybe this is a good lesson for us because the one who seems to listen the best in the New Testament, Mary, at the feet of Jesus, she caught what he was trying to say. And she was ready for it. 
This is a good lesson for us that sometimes we have a tendency to be, we, we tend to talk more than we listen. But sometimes we just need to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to what he's saying and take it seriously. And when it comes time to it, when it comes time to real worship, he'll be blessed by the worship because we haven't missed what he's been trying to tell us. He would soon be betrayed and beaten and ridiculed and mocked and crucified. She knew that. She also knew he would be buried and rise again. He'd made those things clear and she was ready for it. Listen, your appreciation of what God has done in your life ought to be evident in your worship. Because we're, not, we're no longer looking forward to the cross. We're looking back to the cross. And it should be that much more easy for us to genuinely worship because we know exactly what happened to him. We know what the day was like and we know the torture and we know the pain and we know just the nails that were driven. We know the crown of thorn. We know the spear in his side. And so how can someone who was looking forward to it not even knowing what it really looked like worship more than people that have in black and white we're told exactly what it looked like. We should be worshiping as genuinely and seriously as Mary ever did. Her gift was complete. She held nothing back. I mean, it was so complete, it made the whole house smell. I mean, it, it's like, it's perfect. You know, when somebody's just put on some perfume or cologne <laughs> and they walk in the room, it's like, whoa, it's a cloud, right? And the choir, you know, got people spray themselves down. You walk into the choir loft sometime, boom. It's like, I gotta cut through this. You know, it's thick. Well, this is, here's Mary, as she held nothing back. She poured everything out. So much so that it filled the whole house with this scent, with this aroma. She was, it was complete. And, and it, it, it really impacted even the people um, uh, around us, around her. You know, she gave it all. It's kind of like men's advance last weekend. And, and if you were there, then you know the singing at men's advance is unlike really anything, you know, that I've been to in terms of that many men singing with all their hearts. And the way that it works is if you don't sing as loud as you can, you stand out. Like everyone else is singing as loud as they can. And I remember on one verse of it as well with my soul toward the end, I had already preached, you know, my message. And so I was like, you know, I can just let her fly. Well, halfway through the verse, my voice just went out, cut out, because I was singing so loud. And it, 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 it's an impact. It, it, you got you to give your all to it. And by the way, we can sing with that kind of passion here every week. And we ought to. Um, but here's this woman who didn't hold anything back. And I, I'm afraid we hold things back when we're trying to let the Lord know how much we love him. He wants all of it. And her gift, it was accompanied by humility. She got down on her feet, I mean, on her face and washed his feet. She's like, no flesh should glory in God's presence. I'm going to get down. You know, there's all these things about this gift. And, and I just want to, uh, her gift filled the house. I mean, I've got lots of points, probably too many tonight. I just, I want to mention this one too. When she left that house, she still smelled like perfume. I think about that. I mean, she, it, she poured it out. Her, it was still in her hair. I mean, it was still in her, on her clothes. You know, it's like, you know, you go to a restaurant and you, and you don't even notice it when you go in, but it smells, the restaurant does, and you come out and you smell like the restaurant. It's just, ugh, 
Well, that's not what this would have been like that, but it would have smelled better. The perfume was in her hair. So when she walked out of the room, people knew that she, they could smell it on her. And not only that, but the people in the room smelled like it too. So here's this act of worship and the perfume is being poured out. And now she smells like it. And even after she leaves, the effects of worship are obvious in her life. But not only that, the effects of worship are obvious in the lives of the people around her. Because they were inundated with the smells as well. And here's the thing, when we worship genuinely and we worship for real. And we worship with all of our hearts and all of our passion. We don't hold anything back. It will linger on you. It will make a difference in your life. And not only that, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14. That as we worship genuinely and we come and we excel at edifying then those that come in that don't know the Lord, it impacts their lives too. We are convincing to those that come in because of our act of worship and it impacts other people as well. Listen, that's how our worship ought to be. It ought to not just be true in the hour and a half we're in church or so. It ought to make a difference when we leave. You know, that we go somewhere and we see somebody and they say, there's something different about you. And he said, oh, I just, I just met with Jesus. And it's kind of hard to meet with Jesus for real and not have it impact your life. You know, my, my son and I, a while back on a Wednesday night, I hadn't eaten supper and I, I wanted something healthy before bed. So we went to Taco Bell and we were in the drive-thru and I had my suit and tie on. Jace had his suit and, and a tie on. It wasn't during patch or anything. So he was wearing a tie to church that night and and this woman at the, you know, leaned out the window and said, wow, y'all are really dressed up. What's going on? And I said, well, we just got back from church. And you could see it in her eye, like, on a Wednesday night? Like, I mean, it was just foreign to her. And it made a difference. So I gave her a track and invited her, and she acted interested, and, and it made a difference. Listen, that's how real it ought to be when we leave. When we've meet, met to worship the Lord, it should have residue. And I don't mean bad residue, I mean good residue. That, that we've met with the Lord and it's so apparent in our spirit. It's apparent in our way, the way we speak to people. It's apparent in our humility. It's apparent. I mean, we can't get the smell off of us. And we ought to consider that worship ought to be that genuine for us. You know, all these things that Mary didn't come for, all these things, they're not bad. I mean, it's not bad to come hear a sermon. It's not bad to ask God for something. We've done both of those things tonight. It's not wrong to be excited to come for fellowship. I know some have tonight. Teenagers, it's not wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's not wrong to come and try to receive a blessing or be refreshed. But don't sell worship short and assume that those things are just as good. See, nothing replaces it when God's people come to be occupied with God himself. No sermon is greater than that. No prayer time can outdo that. No fellowship is that sweet. And no blessing will be that good. As a matter of fact, though, if you come to meet with Jesus Christ, all of those things are going to be enhanced. The sermon will be better. I don't know how. That's a miracle. I mean, something's got to help it, right? No, the sermon will be better. Your fellowship will be sweeter. You'll be more blessed and refreshed. 
and, and the things you ask for will seem to be uh, more aligned with God's will. I'm telling you, worship to meet with Jesus changes all the things we could come for. Don't miss worship because you're involved or thinking about, preoccupied with all these other things. And don't be half-hearted about it because you've got other things on your mind. No, come for Jesus. Come to be preoccupied with your Savior because it's so easy to be busy serving and preparing and teaching and singing and fellowshipping that we miss the one for whom we're supposed with whom we're supposed to meet. Nothing else is as important. God anticipates our worship. Don't rob him of worship by shifting your attention to less important things. In fact, if you'll worship, all of those other things will be enhanced. They'll be helped. Let's stand together. What isn't a worshiper? Hope that you will consider tonight how you've approached worship in this place. And maybe you've gotten caught up in the things that worship is not to the detriment of meeting with Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you'd have your will and way in our hearts. I pray that it would be a help tonight to our experiences when we come to meet with you. Lord, I pray that this would change us, that our mindsets would be changed in in how we approach you, God. I pray that you'd use this message tonight to make a difference in, in the very way that we meet with you on your day, on Sundays and Wednesdays. God, how we sing, I pray that that would be impacted. How we pray, I pray it would be impacted. How we fellowship, I pray that it would be impacted. How we do everything, I pray that it would be impacted by a desire to worship and meet with Jesus. Lord, help us tonight. Have your will and way in Jesus' name. Amen.